Welcome to Yes Indeed Pod, a podcast about indie tabletop role-playing games where I interview creators about their games and inspirations and about the theory, process and practice of game design. My name is Mark Shepard, your host today and always, and your friendly local indie enthusiast. As you can tell from the revamped intro music, this is a new year and consequently a new season. Friends and fans, we have amazing guests and plans for this year, and it wouldn't be possible without your support. Thank you as always. Today's interview is with Thryn and Adam of Furtive Shambles and the These Flimsy Rituals Actual Play Podcast. As well as making strange small games like Small Town Skeletons, they're also developing Ride, a game about communities, emotions, landscapes and giant goddamn titans. It's one of my favourite recent games and I know you're going to love it, so keep listening for some truly excellent content. Now that's out of my head and into yours, let's talk indie. So today we're talking to Thryn and Adam of Thirtieth Shambles. Hi there, Thryn and Adam, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games? Yeah, sure. My name is Thryn Henderson. I'm a writer and designer. I mostly do narrative design, um, but I do all kinds of, of writing and designing because we make indie games, so we do everything, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm Adam. Um, I also do writing and designing, and the thing you forgot to mention, Trin, is that you, you do like lots of layout and cool stuff like that, which I definitely don't do. But yeah, uh, like <laughs> together we have like a game design co-op called Furtive Shambles, which we we make and release weird indie tabletop RPGs and other stuff and zines and like whatever we feel like making really right yeah that's that's accurate <laughs> Furtive Shambles is such a cool name like <laughs> where did it come from thank you Furtive Shambles has been quite a long-running project it must be nearly five years now we used to do events mm-hmm. we needed a name to call the events because they're themed so we needed a, a something something so we could do theme and then the name of the thing and we liked Shambles because I had just moved to York and, you know, everything here is, is based around the shambles, the area. Yeah. And it was also fairly indicative of our design process. <laughs> and then the furtive was because they were very difficult events to hear about or go to. They just sort of popped up as and when we happened to be in a place and in the mood. <laughs> they were like games for like, I guess, indie tabletop RPGs and indie board games and like any kind of playful thing that we liked but in a place that suited those games and on a theme that kind of tied everything together so like I think the first one we did we did uh, Cursed Shambles which was like we played a bunch of games in a woods near London at like midnight I want to say Epping Forest I think it was Epping Forest yeah and we did like one by the beach which had like a load of coastal themed games and stuff like that and yeah just like some small role playing games some like lyric games and game poems and just whatever we could get our hands on that fit that and kind of felt evocative of that mood. That sounds amazing. Cool. <laughs> we had a really good time with them. We would love to do them again, but, you know, the, the times. Yeah. The times. The accursed times. We thought about doing some solo ones in the future, like st- ones you can, like, buy, like a little box of stuff. Yeah, we just post you a shoebox of weird games. We're, th- we're, we're figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I like the medium of packaging there being a shoebox, yeah. not, not like a post bag or anything. No, <laughs> no, no. We have standards to not uphold. <laughs> Our standards are shambles. That's very hidden under the bed of a murderer or something. <laughs> I like it a lot. That's cool. Do you want to tell us about some of the games that you've made and published in the past? Like, our first set of games really were like the mixtapes, right? Technically, our first games were LARPs. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Adam was working on a LARP called Business Year with some other people for a year before I got involved. But I came on as an actor in that second year and kind of got on board with the design team sort of straight away. Realised I really loved doing it and then we sort of spiralled from there, I think. Yeah. I do not talk to enough people who are into LARPs on Yes Indeed Pod. And having listened to a lot of backstory recently, I'm like, this is a very cool space that I feel like I would be more interested in if I could work out how to get into it. I don't even know if there is a LARP scene in, you know, the area of England where I live. So LARPs in general in the UK, I hear, are not quite as established as in the US or sort of the Nordic LARP scene. I don't know if we are the right people to talk about LARPs in general. <laughs> we write what I sort of lovingly refer to as surrealist LARPs or um, yeah, freeform we, LARPs. Sure. We are both like LARP designers that haven't really been to that many LARPs. Like we, we kind of design from the perspective of imagining what a LARP is and then going like, okay, how does this work? Like, like we've obviously like spoken to a LARP designer. We're essentially designing the speculative fiction of LARPs at this yeah. point. <laughs> we've heard about LARPs. And we're reinterpreting them. Yeah. You know, because sometimes I think that that kind of the sort of liminal space between like freeform LARPs and mm-hmm. chamber LARPs and stuff and uh, role playing games and especially story games is there's such a big overlap. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the two camps of we like LARPs and we like tabletop role playing games seem very separate and not necessarily that talky to each other. It is interesting. And I would like to examine that space yeah. more in the future. But as you said, you're probably not the people to do. No, I like to hope we bridge a bit <laughs> of a gap between story games and LARPs because we've all of our LARPs are very designed around kind of providing a scenario and a world and some props and then some actors and all the actors are sort of briefed with the direction we sort of want things to go and then we kind of make the players make the rules up themselves which that's so cool is this a an approach you can do we have like some background in rules but it's like lots of running around frantically and trying to fix stuff like the first three we did were the business year trilogy which was like post-apocalyptic business cargo cults in the woods and the green blight has kind of wiped away everything and you are kind of uh business folk it's like this very like cathartic self-reflective experience that kind of lets people who work in shitty environments to go in and just be like what if we kind of like managed to exile some of this through the lap and it had like lots of theming of like rituals and things like that mm. the last one ended like really in like a really lovely way with a lot of people just stopping playing the game and going and doing some like sitting down in the outdoors because it's all like in this like green lush valley mm-hmm. that sounds so cool the other thing that i've been reading into recently is anthony ball's theater of the oppressed and like mm. the way that that kind of overlaps with particular styles of larp that i am interested in is absolutely fascinating i mean if i can't go into it now because it's, it's <laughs> that's like another philosophy podcast. Of theater. Yeah. but <laughs> it's totally amazing and like if, if you're interested in kind of improvisational LARP and like the things that that could do in terms of a social, political, ideological space, then that is definitely the kind of thing to look into. 
So you did a restaurant LARP. What did you do after that? We did a load of like one page stuff, which kind of built off of doing a Boys Are Back in Town themed LARP of like just a load of like 80s bangers that we turned into one page games. They weren't all from the 80s. No. They no. are all bangers though. <laughs> yeah. I think that peaked with Jolene. People yeah. really took to that. Yeah. Which, yeah, was like a party game about begging for mercy from an eldritch version of Dolly Parton's Jolene. Was that you? Yeah, that was us. Yeah. I had not put those two things together. It was based on like the Tumblr post. The kind of eldritch idea of it was like one of the inspirations. But also on the idea of Beowulf, because we just loved the thought of <laughs> this increasingly long epic poem to and or about Jolene. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's very much like a party game in, like, one person plays as Jolene. Yeah. And then everyone else in that room is someone with a man. And you basically have to convince Jolene that your man ain't shit. He's not worth taking. (laughs) Take one of these other men. We didn't like the idea of, like, oh, please, I'm so in love with him. I need him. You know, it's a good song, but I don't want to play that out in a room. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, much preferred the idea of, well, I guess you could take my man, but I wouldn't bother. (laughs) (laughs) That's very much the kind of Tom Lehrer approach to uh, Geraldine. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> That's cool. The yeah. mixtape was, was I, good fun. I remember seeing some of those uh some of those one page games and they were very funny. So yeah, good job. Thank you. And then uh Small Town Skeletons is the thing we went on to after that, right? Um did you want to talk more about Frin? Uh yeah, sure. Small Town Skeletons is a mobile frame zero hack, essentially. Um Oh fun. Yeah. It's a game we both really like and don't often get to play. Mm. I just I really enjoy having a scene and you just kind of have a conversation. And then there's one little resolution mechanic and then you do another one, that kind of thing. Um, But it's about being a teenager in a small town, hence the name, where all teenagers turn into skeletons. Ah, I see. Like a puberty thing. You just (laughs) become a skeleton. Okay, Um, valid. I always struggle to be like, and it's a it's a queer metaphor game, but it, it is, right? It's about it sounds it. becoming monstrous in a way you don't necessarily understand. Uh-huh. And the ways you deal with that when you're trapped in this like tiny small space. Yeah. Uh, and I mean we're both from small towns in the UK from non traditional teenage years. I mean I, I guess I had yeah. a queer teenager and I don't want to speak for Adam, but <laughs> I will I will confirm that I did, obviously. Yeah, it's a lot about kind of whether you settle into that body and like push it to its monstrous limits or whether you kind of try to avoid it any way that you can and about like the connections that you make with with other teens and it's it's based around the idea of your town being sort of cursed but everyone just accepts that that's how it is and you don't yeah no one ever talks about it right i mean what it sounds a bit like and maybe you'll be annoyed by this is sort of like a a kind of a very british version of monster hearts i don't know if that's kind of insulting that's not insulting i think that's fair (laughs) i think i mean i love monster hearts it's a really good game but i would say small town skeletons is a little bit less about kind of your teenage lustful confusions (laughs) (laughs) and a a bit more about hanging out in bus stops yeah as i said very british right yeah Yeah, yeah, it's very british it sounds it monster hearts kind of feels like reenacting like a drama show of like if that makes sense like this is a bit of genre fiction it's very episodic in nature yeah Yeah. i don't really know if small town skeletons like i I feel like the other big like thing that i always have in mind for it is like night in the woods as well Mm. it's not returning to a town but it has a bunch of those sort of vibes in being stuck in a place 
nice. I mean, it sounds great. It sounds very much up my street and the kind of thing that a lot of people who come on Yes Indeed do talk about. You know, they talk about these kind of games of queer experience and games that reflect on a particular identity or mm. coming to terms with a particular identity. I think that's definitely something that role-playing games are really, really capable of dealing with. It's quite respectful of that that period of, of teenagehood, right? It's very easy yeah. to make a game about being teenagers that just kind of laughs about it. But we went through it and it was awful but now we're sort of okay and it's nice to kind of play it through a, a quite forgiving lens of like yeah you you suck but that's mm. all right <laughs> yes i understand where you're coming from yeah like for me i always find games about teenagers really interesting like teenagers like it was definitely something i had in mind when designing it is like i don't necessarily want to act out as like a random teenager it's almost about like playing myself in the game and kind of reflecting on my own teenage years and i think that's yeah. sort of a lot of what small town skeletons lets you do to some degree yeah mm. there are so many cool games out there which are around these kind of teenage identities really, i guess monster hearts is the one we've talked about there mm. but there's mm. masks as well which is a bit more of a general yeah coming of age story i suppose one of the ones that i think is most interesting is nicotine girls by paul sager which is i don't know, i have never met anyone who's actually played this game but <laughs> <laughs> it's like legitimately one of the most interesting games that i've ever read because it's, it's very specifically about teenage girls and it's about teenage girls in poverty mm. and about like how that situation becomes really desperate so basically where i'm coming from here is like all of these games speak to a very specific identity mm. and tell quite specific stories and i think that's that's really interesting way for people to explore how they came of age and what shaped the way that they are now so yeah everybody who writes this kind of game doing good work there's a lot of space in my heart for very broad rpgs that that you kind of make the world your own but i do love a specific niche <laughs> game i love yeah, that yeah definitely well, speaking of like, maybe it is broad, maybe it is niche. Do you know? Do you want to go into what Ryan is just a little bit? I think it's weirdly both, right? But yeah. <laughs> so Ryan is like our current in development RPG. It's sort of like a wild fantasy RPG, uh, powered by the apocalypse based. I think our current way of explaining it is like it's a game about people and communities who are holding things together in a world that is always shifting and changing and. Mm. slowly kind of falling apart and i guess like the big thing that defines that world and kind of makes it weird and kind of anchors a lot of like the way that like magic works and the interesting bits of the world work there are titans wandering around in the background yeah big god titans either made out of like physical material or spirit or whatever of like various shape and form and they kind of act as these like weird emotional conceptual anchors that shape entire landscapes and regions yeah and you just play as people within that landscape usually dealing with some kind of change we kind of have like different story seeds in the game which give you like different anchors to kind of start at mm. sort of like how crews work in blades in the dark yeah but like a little broader so you could be like playing in a community and dealing with the fact that the titan in your area has either disappeared or like is dying or changing in some way or you could be like a group of people on some kind of journey into a place and kind of exploring the world and like seeing lots of different different territories kind of pass you by and kind of like dealing with like all the shifts and changes of the landscape yeah that's like the big overview of it i guess normally when i when people explain their games to me or when i hear them played 
kind of see the touchstones and feel where it's come from and like get a bit of a feel for its genealogy but apart from powered by the apocalypse and getting quite a strong visual aesthetic for it i don't really uh, where did it come from (laughs) i guess that's my question what were your touchstones and inspirations the very honest answer to where did it come from oh we do have touchstones that we will get to those is Mm. a conversation in a cafe where we were both just really interested in the idea of things that are really huge and not human having ghosts like what if a mountain like had a ghost right do you think that would be cool i I think the line we hit upon was like what What if if ghosts ghosts were really big (laughs) yeah yeah that that was kind of the starting place in a weird way yeah like we should probably talk about the podcast as well a little bit because that was kind of like where the game development started um so we we are both part of a podcast called these flinty rituals and we kind of created ryan for that podcast the world wasn't originally actually intended to be a game it was it was meant to be a setting for the podcast and we were going to use a pre-existing kind of system to play in yeah but as it turns out we didn't <laughs> we couldn't find any that worked Really, at the time, in like 2017, I think there are games that would work now, which is interesting, Mm. or like would work now for like the setting we had when we started the podcast. I think the game development and the podcast have kind of worked together to kind of push everything in weirder directions. But like, if something like, I don't know, Stonetop had been around in 2017 and I could Mm. go and play that, like maybe Stonetop would have been the game we played, but it wasn't around. And so we made our own. (laughs) Overachievers. That's a valid way. And uh, it's a fantastic sort of example of a good way to play test a system is to play it regularly for a podcast because <laughs> you know it forces you to examine stuff it and sure does puts it out there in a way that is really good for hype i guess in terms of touchstones <laughs> yeah. though like the big ones we always come back to are Earthsea, Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea novels, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. more kind of wild Ghibli films, so Princess Mononoke and that early sort of era. Laputa and... Yeah. One of mine is... Yeah, um, that, that, that works. Noshika. Yeah. Mushishi is definitely one of mine. The manga or the anime, whichever you prefer. Yeah. The thing that when you were talking about giant ghosts that it reminded me of, and you will honestly have to completely forgive me for this, but is the Final Fantasy movie, The Spirits Within... Okay. Which is, I don't know, I don't know if anyone else has ever seen this film because it's really, (laughs) really weird. But they basically spend the whole film like fighting these giant ghosts and then at the end uh, like spoilers for a 20 year old film i guess but <gasps> at the end of the film they realize that fighting the ghosts is bad oh, no. <laughs> obviously you know it's a final fantasy film so yeah. <laughs> that's the way it's gonna go but it's really interesting that you've turned it into a podcast i've not seen a film as well but like i think a lot of our inspirations come from things i think shadow of the colossus is like the obvious one i've not yeah. played that much of shadow of the colossus i watched my room play, play it in uni for like yeah, a likewise. while <laughs> and like other titan fiction like there's a lot of it and it's all like what if there are these like wondrous creatures that were really big and interesting and unknowable but what if we killed them like what if we fought and killed them and like Mm. like i do enjoy that genre of fiction there are some good games out there that kind of emulate that i I was looking at like the relic kickstarter recently that looks really interesting yeah but it just felt like all of the fiction that focused on titans had that kind of focus and it's like well, what if what if we made a game that instead of uh, killing them was about like how do people live in the world where there are these strange unknowable beings how do they relate to them yeah how do they build belief systems about them how do they do they build like cultures about them and asks all those questions and the game kind of becomes about answering those questions yeah i think some of the biggest touchstones you have in like any kind of like game design are the things you don't want to do as much as the things you do as well oh that's really interesting yeah kind of the opposite of a touchstone <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of come across the 
succinct term for that. That's interesting and anti-inspiration. Friends spoke about Mishishi, uh, and that was definitely a big one, as it went. And I think for me, like my big personal ones were like there's a really great book called The Living Mountain, um, which is like nonfiction, but like uh, by Nan Shepard, who was a writer that lived in like the Cairngorms. Yeah, kind of like walked them and wrote about them. And it's just a really beautiful book about like this focus on on different bits of nature by just knowing and being in a place. Yeah, and I think that is always something I always draw from for a lot of like mm. the role books and like the feel and the vibe and just like folktales generally beyond that as well like it's a game in a lot of ways about like how and why we tell stories and like how we do those as communities i think Mm. i think through the main stories of your podcast Mm. and the side stories as well you kind of really get a feel for that folk aesthetic and that it's a story about stories that communities tell like you said much more than it's a story about authored stories, if mm. you like. Yeah. It feels like the characters are kind of less important than the setting. Does that kind of track with what you feel? Yeah, I think that's right. I think you could play a full campaign of Ryan if you wanted, where you were essentially side characters in the narrative of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be yeah. a perfectly valid way to play it and great. Which in some ways is what the podcast is, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's difficult to say that it's not. I, I I think especially your first season was less character centric as it was sort of play centric or remnant centric as as your titans are called and that's quite interesting to listen to and it makes for a really different listening experience mm. whereas your second season is very you've got very very strong characterization and i think people really like the characters in the second season i mean i really like the characters, <laughs> which is the interesting because the second season is where we play blades in the dark which is essentially a throwaway character machine <laughs> we were like <laughs> no actually what if everything was downtime and personal mm, stories yeah. yeah which is interesting because like i think maybe my experience of blades in the dark is a little bit different because i listen to podcasts where they are very character centric and they don't chuck away these characters and like they're not trying to be super precious about you know, <laughs> they're trying to make them really realistic and that it sort of tracks with what your blades in the dark series is like as well they're very strong characters i don't know like some of this is like hindsight because like you run a podcast and so much of it is improvised and you kind of have to find the meaning and like value in it afterwards sometimes uh-huh. but we definitely do go into it with like or at least i go into it I, i'm like the gm for most of it i'm always thinking about like almost authorial intent in terms of like not me as an author but like the ways that stories are told within this world mm-hmm. that we're in and like lots of different characters reflect that and i think in the first season i'm definitely thinking about like earthsea in particular as like what the show is like to some degree because like earthsea has that similar like detachment from characters at least early on yeah like when i read earthsea especially when i like i did a reread recently and like that first book just feels like it's carved in stone as you're reading it there's something like really special about the way that ursula Le Guin uses language it feels like a story that is true and is being told to you and i feel like i don't think we capture it perfectly but that's like some of the inspiration i'm drawing on and like there's lots of like questioning in the narrative of the first season about like what narrative is and how it belongs friend's character is a like a storyteller called belka who like focuses a lot on like capturing and keeping stories right and then in the second season we knew that we were going for like a much closer story so it's in the same world but it's about like a revolution in a city that has rejected the remnants and like the entire city is built on the corpses of two dead gods and stuff like that and i think 
there's a deliberate closeness there because it's all framed through this person called Nilcat who tells like the intro stories at the start of every episode. And in my head, at least, a lot of like what Nilcat is doing, like a lot of what you're seeing is like Nilcat's version of events. I don't know how much that's true. Maybe it is. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's space for interpretation there. Yeah, that's interesting as a sort of talking about looking at a story that you're playing through the lens of somebody else who could potentially be an unreliable witness, <laughs> you know. That's really interesting. Like, I think it's up to the audience as well to decide how they feel about that. Like, I, I think it's perfectly fine to go into that second season and be like, no, this is what happened and this is what's true. But it might not be. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, Rin, but that, that's at least my own feel. I love an unreliable narrator. <laughs> I hope it's almost inscrutable as a season. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I want. Did this happen? Uh, maybe. <laughs> you tell me. Is it a legend? Is it a historical record? Well, we just let's don't work know. Play yeah. through. Yeah. Closure? I've never heard of her. <laughs> you have a really interesting table feel. I, the way that you play the game and the way that all of your characters interact, it's very different to the other two podcasts that I would probably compare it to are some seasons of Friends at the Table and also I'd compare it to uh, Luke of Wildwood Games' yep. uh, Feelings mm. First, which you know is also that kind of quiet carefully considered carefully played through actual mm. play podcast and it's it's very interesting to compare your podcast with their podcast because in some ways they're really similar and in some ways they're really different friends at the table again has that kind of serious world building and a really critical approach to playing role-playing games which i think you get a lot of the mood of as well mm. Mm. that's quite unique in the ones ones at least that i listen to so kudos for making something that <laughs> thank you it's completely different i don't yeah. i don't want to you know force connections above my station or anything but <laughs> i do feel like friends at the table and feelings first and flimsy rituals mm, maybe it's an f podcast <laughs> <laughs> but i feel like these we all have very different styles and i think some of that comes from sort of where the players come from right and their particular interests mm. But I do feel like there's a lot of shared sensibilities there. It feels yeah. like we're all the kinds of people who got big into role playing on stuff like The Quiet Year, right? Like, yeah. we're all from that kind of space of slow paced storytelling with sort of big grand worlds, but but really close communities or characters or or ideals. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, though. It does it does come across very differently across those three spaces, just because of the particular intricacies of the things we're interested in the like slightly differing gm styles of everyone and the players too i don't know as well like friends at the table obviously has one famously british actor and feelings first is kind of a, a sort of a mixed bag but they have a couple of british actors. i love the idea of jdq as a famously british like, just <laughs> intensely Look, british <laughs> they are they are so british it's famed. Well, all right. A British voice actor who is quite famous. Mm. <laughs> maybe maybe it's something to do with the style of British role-playing games being slightly different. Maybe that's a stretch. <laughs> I don't know. I like. I think there's a lot of British actual play podcasts out there that are very similar to American ones. I think there are just different schools of the way people play mm -hmm. podcasts. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's a better but, answer. The way people play <laughs> role-playing games. One of the things that came into my head is like myself and Fryn and JDQ all come from like a similar sphere of like indie video games. We all come from literally exactly the same sphere of indie games. I've, I think I've worked <laughs> with JDQ once. Oh, really? Briefly, yeah. I, I guess Adam's worked a lot of events that we've all been at probably in the UK. Right. It's not like a friendship group or that kind of thing, but like there's a sphere of 
people of about our age who do indie game stuff in the UK and are interested in narrative games and, yeah. you know, share those approaches to, to design and writing where it's not a big place, right? You <laughs> you kind of bleed into each other. Actually, you mentioned to me a few months ago, both of you, a very small mini convention mm. slash in-person jam that happens in, in West Yorkshire every every few years. Yeah. So that's actually where we run our LARPs. Yeah. Is that the kind of scene that you're talking about here? So that is called Feral Vector, which is like a great event. And if you're ever in West Yorkshire when events are a thing again and you can go to it, like I thought, like definitely recommend it. Yeah. And it's very like video game focused but it's like indie video game and it's specifically like an event for designers in a way that I don't necessarily know exists that often, especially like I'd love for something like it for like tabletop RPGs in the UK. You don't necessarily go there to play anyone's games. You don't necessarily go there to like sell a game, but you go there to like talk about design and talk about other people who have design stuff. And it kind of works as a space where you can just go and run weird stuff and try out weird stuff. And yeah. like all of the LARPs we did were just turning up there and like the people who run it going like, yeah, you should run this LARP. We, we know there's a valley down there and we know people will enjoy it. Go, go wild like in the woods or whatever and lots of stuff like like it's very like has like a strong experimental feel to it if that makes sense yeah absolutely it sounds completely up my street (laughs) i ran a lap there once about performing poetry to other people and then they had to learn your poem but not like with words like dance performing poetry (laughs) this sounds so pretentious when i explain it it was it's about the idea of like passing ideas to other people without talking to them so it was basically just sort of a bunch of people milling around the woods sort of perform dancing at each other and then if you wanted to swap poems you you sort of nodded at each other and then you each performed the other persons and you kind of shared them around other people it was yeah it was nice to play but it was even nicer to watch from the hillside just watching things change <laughs> and mutate and that sounds so weird yeah and like mm. amazing but vector is a lot of that kind of thing <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you sold it to me. Excellent. But you want it to stay small, presumably. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not on the organisational team. That sounds like a them problem. <laughs> it's funny, actually, that you mentioned Friends at the Table, just because I, I did want to, like, loop back slightly and, like, mention them as, like, a big inspiration for both Ryan and our podcast initially. Mm. Yeah, that's that's true. They were doing, like, their Twilight Mirage season at the time. Where I was going to go next mm. was to talk to you about the mechanics, and Ryan is a little bit different to other Power by the Apocalypse systems maybe but the one that I really really did stand out to me is the similarity to Twilight Mirage (laughs) (laughs) flawless segue yeah yeah absolutely yeah Uh, I guess the reason that like that link is there is that one of the the big like focuses of of Ryan is it focuses on emotions and and like concepts generally but like emotions are like the way that kind of translates on a player level in that like all your stats are emotions you choose a bunch of emotions when you create your character and like as you play they change and grow and like as you do stuff like the question isn't like do I have the skill it's okay how do I feel about doing this yeah what headspace am I in as I try to do this thing yeah and listening to like the first half of Twilight Mirage and being like, I really enjoy how this works. So so they played like The Veil, which is like a cyberpunk Power by Apocalypse game. And like I just enjoyed that question. Like I enjoyed how like reflective it was. It's really good. I haven't listened to all of Twilight Mirage, but it's it's re- it does change it. And to be honest, like the system, the veil seems a little bit 
gets too crunchy for me mm. and i know it's fairly lightweight but there's all this uh, stuff about like emotion spiking out and stuff which sounds very realistic uh, and like a really interesting way to emulate emotion but it's it's too much for me yeah <laughs> but ryan yeah i think i think the, the way that you play it seems really kind of like it's neat and succinct and it seems very crisp and straightforward so that's good <laughs> we, we kind of developed Ryan iteratively so so like we started out by just going like let's just take the system from the veil which if you don't know it like has six emotions or like six emotion categories like are you scared or powerful or joyful or peaceful or mad or i always forget the last one but like yeah there are six of them and you assign your stats between them and then when you roll you put a dot in the one you've rolled and remove one from the opposite and like it's fine and like i kind of understand it in like a cyberpunk sense of like why would you use that but it, like as we finished like the first season of the podcast I, was, I sort of like felt a little bit unhappy with the way that all worked yeah like to me the way it split up felt very like cold and almost felt it kind of used something from like psychology rather than something that felt genuine and like mm. It kind of works with cyberpunk setting because it felt like a very cold take on that and a very cold take on emotions. Like what happened when you, you filled your emotion was like they spiked and that's a negative thing in some way. And like you're having to deal with that emotion up front. Yeah, I think in that setting, like the, the commodification of your emotions makes sense. And yeah, translating that into a style of play that was much more about kind of like community values and the bonds between humanity in these vast, huge landscapes that don't care about them. It just felt very restrictive in that space. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of clinical, isn't it? Yeah. The division between the, mm. the emotions there. Uh, it's, it's not very like definitive. you can answer those questions with two emotions, you know? And from a play perspective, like one of the things I disliked as well was like, there's this very weird moment where you go like, okay, how are you feeling? And you go like, I am feeling Anno jaded. And then you'd have to sit there and be like, okay, so which of these six... <laughs> stats yeah. does jaded belong to like is it a form mm-hmm. of being peaceful is it a form of being like scared it just didn't quite fit for me or like us yeah as we developed and so like in this new version like what we do now is uh you just name some emotions you create your character and you go like these are the three emotions that are important to me that might be like playful and petty and stubborn and trusting or warm like those are the emotions that are important to your character and you also yeah. get like a fourth emotion called fabric which is like everything else and you just start play with the emotions that you are interested in exploring that's very cool yeah and then like as you play they will change and grow and you will gain new emotions as they become important it sounds really interesting yeah and like that that gives you a lot of flexibility to as you said explore the space that you are mm. particularly interested in mm. so for example if you had a character who wanted to explore i mean you, you could do loads of things couldn't you like you could have a character who wanted to explore anger but also warmth and contentment and yeah. like why not that sounds cool yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. and like the the thing we try and be really clear about in the character creation sections are that the way you assign whatever modifiers you have to those emotions aren't like how good you are at being angry or whatever right it's if you are angry how well do you cope mm. in that situation how do things tend to go like it's equally valid to have like angry as like your strongest emotion like maybe when you get mad you just get shit done or like you could have it as your weakest one maybe you get angry often but like it just leads 
you into trouble like that's kind of up to you it's just sort of about success and failure in powered by the apocalypse i guess is is about whether or not you have good modifiers mm-hmm. but in this case you know it's, it's a matter of retaining control through your anger absolutely I guess. yeah so you can be a very joyful and happy person but if you're completely out of control and bouncing off the walls with that <laughs> then obviously that's going to lead you to to some to some mixed successes so we say. yeah 100 <laughs> percent. so it's like there, there's never a good or bad emotion to put on your character sheet right there's only the ways yeah. that you act as a as a character I think that's why I like emotions as stats. Like, it sort of resonates for me as a person, because I often find, like, if I'm trying to do something, I usually have the skill or don't have the skill to do a thing. And it's usually, like, how I'm feeling in that day, like, what my mood is, what, Mm. where I am in that moment that, like, actually dictates how that's going to go. It sort of goes back to what Jay Dragon was talking about when we spoke to them last week, which is sort of success and failure doesn't feel like a thing that happens in everyday life. Mm -hmm. You mostly just get a kind of mixed success if you're not feeling it <laughs> yeah that's kind of what what the, the note that you're hitting there is is that the emotions tie very much into your ability to act yeah yeah, yeah really into that that sounds really cool yeah. i think that's a part a big part of why we've radically altered what we were originally doing because we, we mentioned the veil which was kind of a starting point or one of the starting points alongside powered by the apocalypse where you strain in emotions and then there's some crunchy stuff and you roll better or worse or something. I honestly don't remember how it works anymore. It was so long ago. Yeah. But we changed a lot of that around to be much more about when you strain an emotion, you just have something you carry with you until you've dealt with that narratively, right? So it's... Mm. Yeah. If you're completely burnt out in feeling one particular way, you might just not be able to cope in that situation under that emotion anymore until you take some time to deal with it. Or if you do something hugely reckless under a particular emotion, you might go, okay, well, I'm going to make a promise to myself that I am never going to act this way again, right? And you can then behave or act or, you know, carry yourself very well up until that emotion is tested. And if you if you break that vow, something happens. So we've got these these things called strain conditions, basically. Yeah. It only slightly alters the way that you play, but it, it alters the narrative of your character mm. quite a lot. Yeah. I think a part of it is we wanted to celebrate emotions through play. Like, it felt like if, like, our game was focusing on emotions so much, at least in, like, the rolling bit, like, it should be doing that from, like, an enjoyable thing. And, like, yeah. strain conditions aren't about punishing a player for rolling an emotion because, like, that's not how it works anymore. Like, we removed the, like, tallying which emotions you've rolled because, like, that just felt like it was trying to guide you into rolling good and bad. Like, you you only have so much happiness and you've yeah. used it all. <laughs> like, we don't care. Like, if you just want to roll the same emotion every time, go for it it's not up to us as game designers to balance that i don't think like it's up to you as a player to say how your character's feeling and play your character honestly yeah and like strain conditions are basically what we want them to feel like is okay for all this emotion enough i'm gonna take strain condition this is a fun character moment where i get to decide like how my character is going to continue to relate to that emotion yeah yeah there are like ones where that frame was talking about like where you make a promise or you might like develop a belief around that emotion which are like okay this is me changing and adapting according to this emotion yeah yeah and like might actually just be a positive thing mm. and then there are some which are like i think there's one called ruin which is like my personal favorite which is like a very blades in the dark style okay i have this condition until a bunch of stuff goes bad for me and like it, it's up to you like you're never forced to take one or the other it's just choose what you're interested in choose what you're interested in exploring yeah. with this character and you can you can choose to sort of explore that very briefly and kind of resolve it quite quickly or you could choose to oh, i'm going to take this strain condition and i will not resolve it consequences forever and it's it's really <laughs> up to you right like yeah 
how you believe your character would deal with that emotion taking up so much of their life. <laughs> I love it. It sounds absolutely fascinating. You've got a playtest kit out now, I think. Um, we yeah, do. A newish version of that came out quite recently. One of the things that I really like, and you kind of touched on it there, is that it's got this sort of aesthetic of thread and fabric running all the way through it i think that's really neat (laughs) where where did that come from Uh, genuinely can't yeah it just felt right it might have come from the podcast a little bit one of the things we've kind of not mentioned that much is that like one of the the core things about the world is like the the spirit is real and exists and like half of the big titans are physical half the most like made a spirit and like ghosts exist and, and like all magic kind of builds on that and like the way mm. that we kind of imagine spirit working is it's like strings like thread like threading between the world and like connecting all things and like a person is a bundle of this spirit yeah yeah and i think it just became very easy to like build that out as like a design metaphor yeah and- it's it's a really easy metaphor, isn't it? And we'd already been describing the world because of the way the territories work as like a patchwork landscape, and it just yeah. kind of clicked in really nicely with that existing sort of light motif. Yeah, weaving stories as well is kind of a classic yeah. sort of I don't yeah. know, a bit of a cliche, but kind of a kind of a neat trope as but well. A nice I, one. I honestly think you should watch this Final Fantasy film. Because I think <laughs> that has kind of a string string idea linked mm. into it as well. I have vague it's memories film, of watching but it's it. Really interesting. I think I might have seen it. My older sister was very into Final Fantasy. I think she might have made me watch and it. And this film is is not good. Let me. I don't <laughs> remember totally the film I watched being good, so it might well be that. One. It's not Advent Children. It's, uh, it's the other one. <laughs> Sorry, we were talking about the playtest kit and I got sidetracked. Also, we just really like crafts. Yeah. (laughs) Which ties into the play kit, actually, because, yeah, we just released the play kit for free that you can go and, like, play and it's got, like, four role books and the rules you need and, like, a little scenario if you want to get, like, play quickly instead of, like, building, like, a slightly longer group of sessions. But you can also do that as well. Like, there are a few different ways you can kind of pick up the rules and play. Krim was just talking about craft then. Um, One of my favourite things from the play kit is we made, like, some cut and stick character sheets which <laughs> cool. which i love we were like sat there for ages like looking at power by the apocalypse character sheets yeah and going like that's a lot of text on a piece of paper and if we do it with our role books we'll end up with like every character sheet being four pages of like nine point text <laughs> what if we just had a big blank space and you just cut out your moves and you stuck them on and you only had to worry about the stuff that you're actually taken so yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the big things we, we put in this one i really, really like, like that yeah. i've seen a few people do things like that mm. Bo Jagger Sheldon's game turn I think the one we saw that we really liked was um Crescent Moon is that what it's called yeah by Emma Acosta yes my friend Basilisk Online also has a game where he does that with character sheets and playbooks as well which kind of works really well it makes everything really flexible and it's kind mm. of I'm really like into physical artifacts of play mm. that's like <laughs> a thing that I really like so having this kind of messy gluey sticky thing that's been scribbled on yeah very very into it's just a design. nice <laughs> physical representation of the way a character evolves as well like ripping stuff off the page or sticking something over it or having to yeah, attach yeah, an additional definitely. blank sheet of paper to glue extra moves on or whatever yeah. <laughs> yep 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 you can tell we've all played a quiet yeah. <laughs> it also like gives us like an interesting design space uh, which we've started to explore which we like explore a lot in our other games and we hadn't been doing in ryan of like doing like stuff that brings from like the real world into the game the robot called a tethered which is like you are the ghost or like a ghost that is like particularly bothered about being a ghost um like it has stuff about like cutting the edges of its character sheet as it like phrase and things like that so it lets us oh, do cool. stuff like that Creepy. we've got other role books do stuff with like you bring in trinkets and 
you say what they are and like you share them with the group and then you get to use yeah. them <laughs> yeah you get to use them as gear and stuff like that but just love stuff like that in. yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think it's cool. nice i think the trinkets one is for the guide which is like you especially have to go out into the world and find this stuff and bring it in so it could be just be like a leaf that you've brought in yeah but just if you want to and you, you want to take that move it allows you to like have a moment in the week where you go out and think about your character or think about the game a little bit if you want to <sighs> love it yeah <laughs> the last game I wrote for the Far Horizons Cop was about environmental activism mm. and the idea was that you basically didn't have a character or the character wasn't important or interesting and what the idea of the game was was to go out and make a difference in the world mm-hmm. it was about uh, urban trees one of the things that you could do was e- that was equally as valid as any other urban activism that you could do was just to go out and appreciate trees mm. and come back and tell people about that. It's the same kind of mood of um, bleeding in and out of the story. I think that's really interesting. Mm. It makes for fascinating characterization because you reflect your own character, which is much more complex than any character that you could create, mm. into the world of the characters that you're that you're playing through. Yeah, yeah. I think that was one of like the games you didn't mention actually because it was sort of slightly preferred of shambles because you also made a game which was about going out and collecting trinkets called is it against the flames into, into the, the flames in, into the flames um it's like a ghost story um and you go out and collect a lot of trinkets and you all sit around a bonfire or fire of some kind and you play out a pilgrimage and you're going on a walk and like some of you are ghosts like lurking around the edge of the flames and each night you like offer those trinkets into flames saying like what they represent of your character so yeah like we did like lots of stuff with that and that was definitely a, a draw of like how do we build that sort of stuff into this game of finding stuff and like walking around nature and like thinking about objects in a different way like that kind of pervasive game ttrpg crossover space <laughs> yeah absolutely amazing it sounds mm. really good i would love to to redo and re-release into the flames actually i yes. That was a banging game. <laughs> I loved it. Do it, yeah. yeah. You've got a customer here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's still available, but yeah, we should do a physical release. I think that'd be really nice. And yeah. think about how to play it if you don't have a and fire. And then burn it, presumably. And then burn it. I have floated <laughs> the idea of Adam with a, a, collect, a special collector's edition where <laughs> the cost of purchasing it is you have to burn the whole thing at the end. <laughs> I love the idea of like a version. Do you know, like those little barbecues you can get? <laughs> There's essentially that. Like the, the box itself is the fire. It just comes like the box just has a load of like kindling. Yeah. And that's like the fire that you'll burn all the trinkets in. Difficult to ship. <laughs> yes, that would be. And I'm not sure that the Royal Mail will take You'd that. have to collect them from us personally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> On that note, what's the future of Ryan? Where's that going next? Ryan is going to crowdfunding next spring is the goal. Um, which we're mm. currently on target for, which is nice. Uh, so it's going to be a big, fancy physical book with much more world building in it. Um, there'll be additional role books. We'll provide some sort of example territories and remnants, a whole bunch more story seeds. Um, a lot of the like player guide and stuff, we've put as much as we can in the play kit. And I can't stress enough, the play kit is quite bare bones compared to the book and it is 60 pages long. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be big. It's, um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's going to be a, be a hefty one. We'll keep your eyes out for that, everybody, yeah. After that, we we get to work on book game number two, which unfortunately we've already had the idea for and made some notes for, and now I can't stop thinking about it. Ah, it's always the way. (laughs) That is the curse of game designers. Yeah. But Ryan first. I'm still enjoying working on Ryan, so it's okay. Brilliant. Well, that sounds fantastic. Everybody keep your eyes peeled for Furtive Shambles talking about Ryan. Yeah, please do. uh, In a few months, yeah. Yeah. And I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing that crowdfunding near you soon. (laughs) 
Thryn, Adam, where can we find you online? You can find us at furtiveshambles.com for our game website or at furtiveshambles on Twitter. The podcast is flimsyrituals.com or is it at these flimsy rituals or at flimsy rituals? It's flimsy rituals. Yeah, I've just, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Right <laughs> uh, you yeah. can find me personally at Theron. And I'm uh, at, at T Dixon. On the Twitters. I think that's everything. I think that's everything. Right, yeah. And you can find like all of our games on itch as well. That's true. And like the play kit is on itch. You can download it for free and play it now. And it's fairly finalish versions of the rules. Like there's some stuff we might tweak here and there, but we'd love to get people playing it and letting us know what they think and giving us feedback. Although if you want to give us a quid for a 60 pitch play kit, feel free. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Every bit of money that people chuck away basically just goes on us buying some more nice art to go in the book good yeah you're supporting the scene by doing that so yeah, yeah go on spend money on that yeah and i guess all that remains for me to say is thank you for coming on yes indeed pod and good luck with the development of ryan thank you for having us thank you yeah it's been a pleasure thanks for listening and thanks again to thrin and adam for the interview as always you can find all of the links in the episode description Next time, we're interviewing my friend and very first guest on Yes Indeed Pod, the inimitable Federic Sones. Fede has a fantastic new game in development called Zephyr, about death and obligation, emotions and colours. I've seen so much of the art, layout and text of this game to be able to confirm that you, yes you, will indeed love it. And this was a stellar interview. I can't wait for you to hear it, so tune in in two weeks to find out more. This week's episode has been kindly sponsored by Plus One EXP and their game Through the Void. After the Solar Wars, almost nothing was left. Empires demolished, cultures destroyed, the Legion scattered across the void as a shadow of itself. All that remains is the station Eternus. It looms in the middle of space, an impossible structure built of rings within rings, constantly shifting, whirring, changing, surrounded by the inky blackness of space and the vast ruins from generations of a war that slowly whimpered out. For decades now, Eternus has survived on the salvage of bygone eras, small outlying colonies and asteroid mines, along with the sweat, toil and blood of drifters, those desperate few willing to leave the safety of the rings and go through the void. Through the Void is an old-school inspired minimalist RPG built using the Together We Go system. It embraces anti-canon team brewing and iterative world building with a focus on emergent play. Isolation, loneliness and instant lethality in the void are mirrored by the pluralistic, wild, power-hungry desperation of Eternus. Tony Vicinda and the Plus One EXP team are itch-funding an Ashcan version of the game from January 7th to 31st to add fresh art, ship designs, adventures and setting tools for the core system. You can check it out and support the game at ttrpg.link ttv. This week and once again I'd like to thank some of my incredible Patreon backers, Alex Reinhardt and Samantha Lee. Thank you so much for your ongoing support of the show, it means the world to us. And you, yes you, can get a regular shout out and joyful thanks too if you go to patreon.com slash yesindeedpod and sign up today. You'll get access to our Discord server where we can hang out and chat and even join monthly editing streams and the Yes Indeed Pod book club. Most of the money will go directly to creators rather than to me so you'll be investing directly in the indie scene which will make it a healthy and inclusive place for years to come. And if you can't commit regularly, you can always help out by rating and reviewing the show wherever you find your podcasts, or by donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod, that's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. 
All music is taken from Be Quiet by Yatsa from the Free Music Archive, released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 International License. Thanks, Yatsa! And until next time, remember, does indie need you? Yes, indeed!